Hi, I'm Jeremy McCain, and you're listening to Ridge to Reef. It's a podcast where we talk about the ocean, if you haven't already figured that out. This week, we've got Fabian Cousteau. Fabian is an amazing oceanographer and explorer. Uh, we first met at the Explorers Club a couple of years ago, but he's working on a crazy awesome project to build the International Space Station underwater. That's right, you heard that right. He previously has lived under the ocean for 31 days, and he wants to extend that with his new project, Proteus, which is a 4,000 square foot laboratory that allows aquanauts to spend a lot of time under the water. So without any further ado, Fabian Cousteau. Our guest today is none other than uh, Monsieur Fabian Cousteau, and I am uh, very excited because uh, you know he's working on such amazing things. Um, he's an advocate for education in the ocean, but he's also doing something that's well crazy. And uh, as uh, Richard Branson once told me, it's the crazy people that get things done on this planet. And so um, we're going to talk a little bit about his his project to create something that is. Uh, um, very different than, than, you know, what others have ventured to do. It, basically a 4,000 square foot um, vessel, uh, I guess if you will, or an international space station uh, for, the, for the oceans, which is super cool. So, but without any further ado, I'm butchering this introduction. Uh, Fabian, welcome to the conversation. I'm so glad to have you here. Thanks so much, Jeremy. It's great to be amongst all of you and uh, this is my first foray into clubhouse so it's a really neat and refreshing platform and i, I see some friends here sam and jonathan and uh obviously you guys uh and uh, i don't know i mean would, would you like me to put on a french accent it sounded like you <laughs> you wanted me to to, to speak in the deep you know <laughs> it's, what's funny is you know when i when i read to my kids i often mm. use like different voices to kind of get them excited about the subject matter you know and so mm-hmm. it was weird because when my girls were really little, I learned that I could do, you know, a French accent and a German accent. And then somewhere along the line, there's always a narrator in the conversation or in the, in the storyline. And I, I realized that I could do David Attenborough's voice. And um, so, yeah, if you want to talk today in a French accent, you're more than welcome to. This is a very laid back uh, in, uh, group. But um, wait, 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 wait. Do David Attenborough. Do David Attenborough. <clears throat> all right. All right. Here we go. The humpback whale is one of the most exquisite animals in the entire kingdom. They travel all the way down to Antarctica, and what do they find? Krill. Lots of krill. But most people don't realize that whale poop actually feeds phytoplankton, and phytoplankton is responsible for every second breath that we are now breathing. Brilliant. Brilliant. Well done, Jeremy. Bravo. <laughs> we have so, a replacement for uh, Attenborough now. That's not possible. No one can replace Sir David. But um, but but yeah, I think I think like, you know, when you're able to like, you know, do different voices uh, for kids, that's that's something that, that really gets them into the subject. And speaking of kids, you've often, you know, uh, practiced uh, a lot of your education around the youth when it comes to the oceans. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So, um, wow, where do I start? Uh, essentially, it goes back to uh, the philosophy that was passed down from generation to generation in my family, 
by something and summarized by something my grandfather used to tell me when I was a kid, which is people protect what they love. They love what they understand and they understand what they're taught. And uh, as such, uh, education has always been at the uh, crux or the forefront of what we what we do because you know whether you're a filmmaker an explorer or a scientist what's of paramount importance is the message and the message needs to be given in a way that's educational but in a way that's also entertaining uh, so that people retain the information in a way that's that's uh, that really is emotional uh, and so for kids you know I remember when I was a kid I was a pain in the butt uh, I never paid attention in school, but where I did pay attention were the educators in the field when we went on expeditions, because they, first of all, it was interactive. It wasn't so much someone talking at you from a chalky blackboard. It was someone showing you, someone holding your hand and, and really having you be uh, a participant in some of the things that they were researching. And that really sank in as just a an amazing experience that I, I, I hold to this day and something that at the Ocean Learning Center we try and and also give back uh, through the various projects uh, whether it's women empowerment wrapped with sea turtle restoration or whether it's uh, using 3D technologies for uh, printing coral reefs or whether it's uh, you know in this particular case like you mentioned Proteus uh, quite literally building the International Space Station for scientific research why not right I mean we did it for space why are we ignoring the vast majority of our planet the life support system that we all depend on uh, when by and large it's still an amazing fireworks display of life a Pandora's box of mysteries and 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 chemistry and and all sorts of solutions that we have yet to uncover so you know to be able to do that you really need to take new and interesting approaches that that connect with people especially the young and the young at heart uh, in ways that we might not have imagined in previous generations but uh, with that, you know, that's that's our challenge and, and that's also the exciting part. Yeah, you know, I, it's it's interesting because um, speaking of David Attenborough, um, Sydney, my youngest, she's seven. We were watching his new film on, on Netflix and she had asked me, you know, she said, Dad, does it mean that like if we eat, you know, if we eat chicken or if we eat beef, does that mean that we're taking something away from the planet? And it's really interesting to see that she kind of took that away from it. And, you know, I, I know this and it, and I, you know, I'm like, yeah, you know, I, yes, that's, that's, I guess that's true. And then when she says, well, but why do we eat chicken? <laughs> then I'm like, oh, I'm so ashamed. <laughs> I think what's really interesting about with children and having them be part of this particular dialogue as it, as it relates to the education of the oceans is that they have a way in the present term to really affect the way that adults react. Um, have you seen that kind of in, in, in a lot of this practice? Have you seen maybe something similar with what you've been doing? Well, so a lot of times speaking to adults is not necessarily the easiest task um, for various reasons. Uh, the, the, the wow factor may be short-lived in the conversation. That may be due to a lot of, of things uh, that make each of one of us individual. But when we want to get to the decision makers of today, you have to go through the decision makers of tomorrow. And by being able to impassion young people 
in not only the, the, the tragedy uh, of the commons today, you know, all the, the things that we're facing, uh, which are uh, in no uncertain terms much worse than you've even read about or heard of or seen, but in, uh, in like-minded fashion, we also have to see that the, the hope is really uh, anchored in the fact that today's technologies, uh, communications such as what we're using right now, uh, in, in the, the new and innovative approaches through engineering, through uh, just different mindsets, there is hope to be bred. And there are all sorts of innovations that can tackle some of the biggest problems we have on this planet. But in order to do so, we not only have to impassion the young people who will be taking up those challenges and will be taking up those solutions, but the ones that are here today, you and me, and the people on this call, and the people out in our communities, those decision makers from the House all the way up to the government that uh, need to make better decisions. And the best way to do that, and I always say CEOs have kids too, mm. is to get those kids to talk to their parents. because. Even if we don't listen to each other as adults, we listen to our kids because we want the best for them. And if they talk to us the way they always do in very straightforward common sense logic, it strikes us and we actually have much better chance of connecting with that and actually doing something about it for their sake. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I um, also want to recognize uh, my co-founder of the Ultramarine, Susie Mai, has joined the room. Susie, welcome. Hi, everybody. Hi, <laughs> Fabian. Welcome to Clubhouse. This is so awesome to have you on here. Hey, Susie. Great to uh, see your virtual octopus blinking. Yes. It's awesome. Well, it's Octopus-tober for all of you who don't know. So, um... Hello, Susie. Hi. A long time not see. Yeah, how have you guys been? Wow, this is a cool one. I'm excited for today's whole shebang. This is great. There, there's a there's a massive uh, email list called the Coral Listserv that Noah puts on, and you can find all sorts of coral-related stuff on there. But the past week, everyone has been talking about my octopus teacher, and mm -hmm. octopus is it's really on everyone's mind. So I'm loving loving seeing the love for the octopuses here on Clubhouse too. Yep. Speaking, speaking of which, uh, Fabian, uh, what what is your favorite uh, sea creature? It's a cephalopod. It's the octopus. Mm. Out of that family, it's the octopus. For many reasons, um, personal experience with them uh, has just really wowed me and, and, and fundamentally moved me uh, on so many levels. Um, I never had a taste for them in the first place, but now that uh, growing up and, and especially nowadays when I've seen them act and react and learn and just problem solve in ways that make me feel, wow, if we're going to be talking about space aliens uh, invading our planet and things like that, the octopus was probably one of the original. Uh, not to you know, breed conspiracy theories, but the octopus is pretty amazing and um you know i could tell you story after story about I, actually i was just going to ask you what's your favorite <laughs> octopus story <laughs> well i'll tell you when i was a kid uh, i would go on calypso and and join my family for expeditions because that was the best way for our family to get together uh there was this one time we were in the mediterranean and there was a scientist doing some wet lab experiments on the aft deck under the, uh, heli the helipad. And that's basically the only space they had. 
And I remember him setting up a bunch of different tanks in different spots. Uh, some had fish, uh, some had other kinds of sea life, snails, things like that. One I remember had um, lobster. And then there was a, an octopus on another table in a different tank. The evening uh, set in, everyone went to bed, and the next morning the scientist woke up uh, and he looked around in his, uh, in his uh, wet lab and uh, everything seemed normal except that there were nothing but shells left in the tank that had the lobsters. Now, this is a crew full of French people, right? 147 foot World War II minesweeper with salty French sea, uh, uh, sailors who've been on the team for decades and they play tricks on each other all the time. And you know, they, there's, there's certainly no lack of mischief. Well, so the scientists of course thought someone was playing one on him and he got upset, he put some more lobsters in and he had the closed circuit camera on and he watched all night long. And what he found was it was the octopus opening up the top of his tank, slithering down onto the floor, going across to another, uh, to the other table, going back up to the other table, getting into the other tank, eating that crustacean. And instead of going down and slipping through the gunnels and back to freedom, he would go back out, close the lid, go back into his tank and close that lid and sit there and wait. And I thought that was the most amazing thing, how an octopus could teach a human being how to, be, how to feed it for free. I mean, how awesome is that? <laughs> that's incredible. It just goes to show you how little we know, you know, and, and that's, that to me is the exciting thing about the oceans is like, you know, this is really in many ways the final frontier of understanding and, you know, which is a great segue into this project Proteus that you're working on. It's really to kind of further exploration and the understanding of the deep sea. Can, what can you tell us about this? Because we've got a lot of people in the room that are impact investors, they're VCs, but there, we've also got you know, Dr. David Gruber, who's, you know, he knows a lot about this subject as well. We've got some really great people in the room. What, what can you tell us about this project and why you decided to take it on? I love seeing all these troublemakers in the same room. This is awesome. I feel like, I, I feel like I'm, I'm in with the right group here. Um, it's, you know, it's, and I say troublemakers in the most endearing way for those of you who don't know me. Um, and, and David, I have known for years, is an amazing guy, and, and so are, are all the people that I know in here. But for me, it is mind-blowing that we spend so much in space exploration, which I love, I'm a big proponent of, but what, what worries me is we're spending so much in space exploration, we're ignoring our life support system, as I think we were talking about earlier, which is our ocean. It's the water part of our world. It's the only thing that makes this little oasis in space unique. You strip that water part of our planet away and we're a lifeless brown rock in space like all the others. And so to me, it's really exciting to be able to not, looking, not only look at space exploration, but inner space exploration. Not only the, 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 the synergies between them, but also taking ideas and technologies and applying them to both environments, which are extreme environments, in many ways are very similar and in some ways are very quite different. And so when I thought about you know, past habitats, the first ones being built uh, by my grandfather and, and of course with the US Navy, the sea labs and hydro labs and all that, and with, and with uh, the, the Germans with uh, Helgeland and, and, and many others out there, I thought, why isn't there a modern day international space station 
in the ocean? Or better yet, why don't we have several of these stations in various strategic parts of the world so that we can do advanced research on site? Leverage something that I found was uh, extremely limiting as a scuba diver, which is the limit of time underwater. And um, leverage another aspect, which is being immersed in your environment so that you have the uh, dexterity, you have the instant uh, recognition and the, the uh, wherewithal to make uh, decisions right there on hand. Now, I'm a big proponent of, of ROVs, AUVs, uh, boats, all those things. Those things are fantastic tools, uh, submersibles. Uh, I know Sylvia's building some amazing submersibles. But you know, at the end of the day, we're missing a valuable tool in the toolbox, and that's an international space station or, water, or an underwater research station. Now, there's one for those of you in the know. There's, there's one left um, on, uh, on this planet called Aquarius. But Aquarius is a scant 400 internal square feet. Uh, within which you live and work with five other aquanauts. So it's a bit like a studio apartment in New York City with your, your buddies. But it doesn't give you the room that you need to do that advanced research. With 400 internal square feet, it's separated into thirds. A uh, third of it is for the living quarters, or sleeping quarters, I'm sorry, a third of it living quarters, and the another third is your relief station as well as a couple of small tables for... Um, for your science, and the wet porch, which is your ingress and egress area for the aquanauts. Now, aquanauts, for those who don't know, are saturated divers. And that's where you flip the, the quotient upside down. You're no longer relegated by the limits of dive tables, per se, at least not from the surface. You can virtually go out in that water column for hours and days on end, depending, of course, on certain parameters. And that coefficiency of time allowed for my team and I to work out of Aquarius for a full 31 days, a full lunar cycle, and do over three years worth of scientific experiments, which simply aren't afforded from any of the other tools that we have in our toolbox. Now imagine that we shed that 30-year-old uh, tiny little habitat and build something that is actually conducive to long-term deployment underwater, and I don't mean days or weeks like Aquarius and previous habitats. I'm talking about weeks, months, and possibly even longer, where we can actually tackle the very fundamental issues that humanity is facing today, viral pandemics, uh, cancer research, pain mitigation. And I'm, I'm expressly looking at those things because I know that we've already synthesized some of the ke uh, chemical compositions of the oceanic biome to create cures for those various illnesses that we are facing. And that's just the biochem industry. That's just the pharma industry. Imagine all the other things that we can look at. I, it's mind-blowing to me that we don't have a station or a set of stations underwater that is constantly monitoring microplastics, that is constantly monitoring the parameters for uh, climate change-related issues so that we can make decisions that will not only uh, save lives, but save money, and will give us the ability to predict things, not hours or days beforehand, but weeks and months, which will give us a huge trajectory to make much, much better decisions. Uh, to me, it's, it's an obvious one. I think for the general public, there's an aha moment that takes place when one explains that inner space and outer space has a lot, have a lot of similarities, except the ROI on inner space uh, on ocean exploration 
is much more readily available. It's just been largely ignored because by and large, we take the ocean for granted. We uh, treat it as an endless resource and a garbage can and a given. It's our backyard, so you know, why are we paying attention to it when we could be looking at you know, aliens on other planets? The reality is that for us, as a species, to survive, much less live and thrive, we need to be able to do that advanced research and leverage that coefficiency of time that a international space station underwater would afford us which we haven't done yet. And I'm really excited about those opportunities. I think there's a lot there to play with for decades to come. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's really interesting because I know just from just the sheer exploration side of things, like that's one of the things that I, I wish that I could do. I wish that I could spend my entire life underneath the ocean. I mean, it's, you know, Sylvia and I have talked about this, you, and you and I have had this discussion before, but like both of us feel like we're at home when we're underneath the water. Um, did we lose Fabian? We lost Fabian. Hopefully he'll come back. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, while, while he's working, oh, here he's, he's back. He's back. Um, um, what I was just saying, Fabian, b- before, uh, you ghosted us. <laughs> um, Sorry about that. I okay. popped off for some reason. I don't know why, what it's happened, a, but it's I'm okay. here. I'm no, back. I'm only teasing. Um, no, I, what I was going to say is that, you know, I, I, I love the idea of being underwater for a long time, you know, for, from in the exploration side of things. Um, but, you know, maybe since we have a lot of people here who are on the VC and investment side, maybe could you kind of, <laughs> this is a horrible pun, I was going to ask you to dive deeper and then I realized where I was going with that. But could you <laughs> go into maybe a little bit more detail on, um, you know, really some of those benefits and, and what these payoffs could potentially be? from an investment standpoint? Sure, absolutely. Uh, I mean, there. I think Lisa Maricino's on here too. She's my CEO for-, um, for I, uh, I am here. Oh, excellent. So <laughs> she can certainly answer a few of those questions as well. Uh, but uh, essentially, uh, think of the kind of engineering that goes into an international space station, whether it's topside, I mean, in space or, or inner space. Uh, those breakthroughs in of themselves uh, have a lot of value. Then if you look at the uh, energy that we would be based on, which is a renewable energy called ocean thermal energy conversion, which is an extremely efficient type of energy system. Uh, the difference between other uh, renewable energies like solar and wind is solar and wind are, are peak energies, which require storage medians uh, on off-peak times, or, or at least some solution. Uh, to address the energy needs. And uh, OTEC is a baseline energy. So uh, it, it's, um, it, it solves to some extent that problem. Additionally, uh, it does give you uh, the ability to uh, power something uh, fairly power hungry, such as a, a space station underwater, especially with advanced labs, in a very efficient manner, in a local manner. Uh, uh, the side benefits of OTEC are that it also provides refrigeration. So for us in a, uh, a contained environment at the bottom of the sea, it gets very hot and humid very quickly. So this in of itself is a, a very big benefit. Uh, and additionally, of course, we can uh, generate fresh water as another byproduct of ocean thermal energy conversion. Uh, and that's something else that we need in fair abandon uh, in a in a diving environment to rinse gear, to, uh, of course, drink, to uh, water the hydroponics lab, which is a, a, 
a section of Proteus that we're going to be experimenting with, uh, which could very much apply to colonies on Mars or the Moon or what have you, is creating um, an area that can generate some of our own food. And that came from something that uh, I was very, uh, I was struggling with, to be quite honest, with Mission 31, which is the food that we were eating was essentially astronaut food or, or camping food for those who, who camp with freeze-dried food. Uh, the reason for that is that uh, we cannot cook in a multiple atmosphere uh, environment uh, with open flame because the multiples of oxygen that we breathe uh, would accelerate the, the, the process of, uh, of, uh, of the flame consuming that oxygen, which can get out of control very quickly in a confined environment, one that you're relegated to. So uh, again, that plays very well into space exploration. Uh, so we need to find new technologies that cook without, and I'm not talking about just microwaves, because microwaves brings out a whole other set of issues. Sure. Uh, but that's another technology that we're playing with right now to integrate into Proteus in the galley, so that we can actually cook fresh foods, so we can grow fresh foods. And then beyond this, we're looking at the ability to uh, explore and extract uh, biochem compositions from uh, various uh, species, be, that, uh, be it uh, flora and fauna, so that we can look at uh, the, the pharma industry to offer, uh, and I, I say we as a general we, because um, I just realized that I'm talking on and on and on, but the reality is this is meant to be a public good and one that can be used by all sorts of entities, be it a university for study or be it a, a, uh, a company that may have a need for an underwater lab. Uh, and let's say it's a biochem company that wants to develop a new cure for leukemia, targeted uh, chemotherapy, for example, uh, from a deep water sponge chemical composition. Well, instead of bringing those samples from the deep back up onto uh, from where it's used to being, which is multiple atmospheres of pressure, uh, back to uh, one atmosphere and being exposed to air and being frozen and then being shipped halfway around the world and then sitting in a freeze locker for months, if not years, before someone finally gets to it. And all that information, all that data, uh, has um, the propensity to be uh, degraded or corrupted. Imagine if you can do all of that in a week or a month right there on site. Uh, I think you know, the, just that quotient right there is a huge time saver as well as a, as a, as a money saver. Uh, additionally, there are all sorts of other, uh, there's a laundry list of other examples. Uh, we're, we're looking right now at uh, creating uh, our own food outside the habitat as well, growing uh, various um, uh, low uh, food web uh, um, food sources, meaning not uh, the apex predators and things like that, uh, that could feed the aquanauts during a mission. Bearing in mind that we burn on average three times as many calories as on land because of all the activities, of course, hmm. all the diving, as well as trying to stay warm underwater. I know it sounds weird because uh, our favorite nation uh, is uh, Curacao for the first of these habitats, and it sounds like a very warm tropical place, which it is on the surface, but when you're underwater and you're wet and uh, you're at, at depth, uh, 
uh, you need to stay warm uh, and you need to stay as dry as possible. And that certainly uh, keeps your, your body uh, going as far as burning calories. So we're, we're uh, really excited about all of this. No, it's super fascinating. And, and how deep is Proteus uh, in, in, in design? Like, uh, where, where, like, what's the current depth that you're planning on doing this? So if we're going to bring in citizen scientists, uh, meaning non-dive uh, professionals, uh, and then training them to be able to perform a mission underwater in, in you know, saturation, so in an extreme conditions, uh, we want to keep it in an air environment. And in order to do so, and to deploy people for long periods of time, beyond what's ever been done before, we want to be able to keep that at three atmospheres of pressure or less. Hmm. And that does two things. Uh, one, it's uh, economically much, much more efficient because you're driving your life support systems on a breathing medium that's, that's uh, very cheap. Uh, and two, uh, you're uh, avoiding uh, having to mitigate oxygen toxicity issues. Uh, and for those missions that are in need of deeper depths, and I'll get back to that in a second, but mm. uh, you have uh, Proteus's uh, second structure, which we're calling Triton for now, the little brother of Proteus, at about 70 meters or eight atmospheres for that extended reach. And that will be powered on heliox, so helium oxygen mixture, which is more expensive, but one that's necessary for deeper dives. But let's bear in mind that even if you're saturated at three atmospheres, you can go down to 150 feet for five and a half hours without any decompression obligations, wow. which if you're going down from the surface, you've got, I don't know, something like uh, at 150 feet about, uh, I'd have to look at the tables, about 15 minutes or so before you have to go back to the surface. Uh, at, 100 and, uh, at 210 feet, you have about uh, five minutes or actually a little less from the surface. Whereas uh, we have uh, several hours uh, to do that from Proteus. So we have a, a huge, huge playing field uh, that's available to the aquanauts based out of Proteus. Awesome. And for those, uh, those missions that may be uh, extended, I, I forgot to mention, uh, Proteus has a docking station for a submersible as well as a deployment area for AUVs and ROVs. So it's not only um, capable of deploying the most advanced technologies, but also able to uh, service them, regardless of what the weather is at the surface, which is a huge issue with, uh, with surface uh, support vessels. Well, this means that uh, Sylvia's subs could work alongside with you. <laughs> Certainly hoping so. Uh, Sylvia is a lifelong uh, friend of our families. And, um, and you know, the, like I said, I mean, it's, it's all these tools working together give us a much better ability to uh, address the, uh, the panoply of what's under the blue veneer. No, I mean, I think this is a really fascinating thing because, you know, we we have this, you know, it's, it's a huge mystery, you know, I mean, and one of the things that you know that is very near and dear to my, my heart is um, this trying to put a moratorium on deep sea mining. And for the reasons, much of what you're focusing on is it's like, you know, we have yet to really explore um, what's down there in those 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 deep regions. Uh, we have an idea, but we, we haven't really even begun to scratch the surface. And a lot of what we're doing to our oceans, um, unfortunately, we're, we're destroying them faster than we can discover. And I think Proteus provides a really interesting uh, opportunity to be able to kind of look and see what maybe potential, um, you know, from a, just from a financial standpoint, it has a potential of, of really figuring out how we can solve some of the problems on land by, by looking down below. And if you, if you were to kind of, I guess, pinpoint 
a couple of the top things um, with Proteus, you know, saying that things that you're personally looking forward to. What are, what are, what are, what are, what are, what are some of those, those top things? Uh, social isolation in a paradise. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm with you on uh, that but, one. But, you know, j- joking aside, uh, we have to remember that, you know, and, and I'm glad you brought up uh, deep ocean mining. Uh, before we can even accept doing anything like that on any scale in the ocean, we have to set the ground rules, and we have to set up the uh, the policing uh, ability to make sure that people do things the right way uh, as this develops, so that we don't repeat all the mistakes of the past and of the present here on land. The difference is that what happens in the ocean will affect us all. Uh, in even more fundamental ways than what we're what we've seen on land, uh, because of the medium that the ocean is. Now imagine that Proteus is not only a research station for let's call it temporary missions, right? Missions that are weeks or months long, but is also capable of monitoring with all six senses, 24/7, all the various parameters from sight and sound uh, to touch to all those things that we can uh, better monitor. Uh, remember that, you know, for sound, for example, uh, sound travels much, much further and faster underwater. So if you have, say, uh, illegal activity or anomalies, acoustic anomalies underwater, you could very easily pick those up with the sensor array that Proteus will have. And we'll be able to tell, depending on the signature of that acoustic uh, uh, sound that's going through the, the, the water, what it is and where it's coming from and uh, that will give us a, a better monitoring uh, ability uh, it also give us a much more real-time data stream for those on land who may be able to use those kinds of tracers uh, to make better decisions uh, and th- that's just acoustics but we're talking about uh, microplastics as well microplastics are uh, great uh, at giving us a fingerprint on the origins of the plastic, uh, the, um, the fact that a plastic has a tendency to uh, collect more data on its travels throughout the ocean column gives us uh, the potential the ability to retrace its, uh, it, its path. And therefore, we're able to find the source. We're able to uh, look at better ways to mitigate that so that that becomes less and less of a problem in the future. And those are just two examples of many, many more. Of course, with marine biology, uh, imagine the ability to have all those tools at your disposal, be it uh, donning an aquanaut suit, be it uh, sending out an AUV, be it getting in a submersible and going uh, deep uh, to go searching for uh, those things that, that you seek. It's something of, um, you know, a, a bit like Star Wars or like Star Trek, I guess, because I'm the Star Trek generation. Um, I remember, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the adventures um, with the stargates and everything else. I mean, this is, this is our stargate in the ocean. It, it absolutely is. You know, it's funny. My girls love this show on Netflix called The Deep. Do you, are you familiar with it? <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so cool, right? Because it's a whole family that's in like this super awesome submersible and it's like discovering all these things and saving the world. I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> in a way, that's kind of what Proteus is doing, you know. Um, is is um, is there a reason why you chose Proteus to be kind of a stationary 
um, object rather than one that can kind of move throughout different uh, venues of the ocean? That's an excellent question. And it's one that, you know, I really struggled with. But at the end of the day, for mid and long term research, it makes sense to have a, a stationary or semi stationary platform. We have a lot of mobile platforms. Uh, I've already mentioned a few. Uh, but the reality is that we don't have uh, any station of, of, any, uh, uh, of any advanced abilities uh, at this juncture, uh, much less several of them in strategic locations. So to me, in order to complement some of the other tools that we have at our disposal, and to be able to stay at the bottom as a human being, um, and, and there's a lot of advantages, and I'm a big proponent of that human technology interface, uh, we, we need to be able to send human beings to the bottom. It's very much like saying, you know, well, we, we send probes into uh, the uh, Martian atmosphere. Why do we need to send human beings? Well, because at the end of the day, we're human beings and we need to be there in person to uh, feel like we're learning something uh, tactile. And uh, in many ways, the uh, way we function uh, being on site, being able to touch and manipulate is a much more efficient endeavor than trying to send a submersible or an ORV to do the same thing from the surface. Not only that, but it also gives us uh, longevity that those platforms uh, don't have because people just get tired or they need to go to the bathroom or what have you. And so um, I'm not saying that either one is the ultimate solution because at the end of the day, it's that symbiotic relationship between those various platforms and, uh, and the human being. So it's, uh, Proteus is not going to uh, uh, eliminate uh, submersibles or ROVs. As a matter of fact, if anything, uh, it'll probably enhance the capabilities or at least work in relationship with those capabilities. But we, we, we do need monitoring stations that yeah. are uh, robust, that are fairly large in footprint, uh, and that are stationary so that we can have sen uh, sentinels, uh, I guess is the best way of describing it. And uh, trying to move a sentinel that large uh, from place to place is very costly and very mm -hmm. complicated. Uh, so, you know, looking at, at stationary versus mobile, uh, I've got to say that you know, stationary has its advantages and disadvantages, but in the case of Proteus, just so uh, the audience knows, it's meant to be modular. And if you look at the design in Forbes magazine or on CNN or what have you, you can see that there are sections. And those sections are meant to be added as needed or subtracted and brought up to the surface and modified as needed so that not only future upgradable with new technologies, but we're able to expand when needs be. Say, for example, the country of Japan or Microsoft wants to have its own pod attached to Proteus, they don't have to pay for an entire Proteus. They can just uh, buy or build that one section and add it on to the, modul uh, the modular nature of Proteus to, to add to uh, the value of what they're doing. Uh, I think it's, uh, uh, it, it's a very valuable model. Uh, we've seen habitats in the past be semi-mobile. Aquarius was one of those, actually. Uh, and it was never used. Uh, mm. And so, uh, in that manner, because they found that it was much better stationary. Is it, uh, so is, it, is it safe to assume that because of that design and that model that 
you know, Aquarius, I mean, not Aquarius, look what I've done. Um, Proteus could actually extend (laughs) its size, uh, you know, because other people come together and and say they want to add a module. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's part of the plan that that was always from its inception, the concept is to be able to add as needs be. Hmm. And, uh, I mean, ultimately, yes, you can make a structure that's 10 times larger. Um, you know, the reality is obviously somewhere in between, but yeah, uh, the yeah, it, it's absolutely meant to be uh, modular and, and accept um, all those various uh, sections, so that we can cater to whatever task is needed. Well, I, I want to let everyone know that is here listening. If they want to come up and ask a question, you're more than welcome to do so. We're, we're having a discussion about the exploration of the oceans and the amazing uh, concept that Fabian's working on uh, called Proteus. Um, you know, one, one last question I think I'm going to uh, leave you with is, um, is, you know, when you, you look at this particular concept and you look at, you know, this, uh, the, the use case, like does, it, I, I would imagine that this is a very expensive endeavor. Um, do you think that, you know, I mean, I, I, obviously I know the answer on my end, but, but do you think that when others look at this from just a sheer investment side, does the, does the expense justify the means for, for the things that we need to understand on the planet? Well, I guess the best way to answer that, <coughs> excuse me, is Proteus is meant to be very unique in some ways. And if we look at uh, the cost of the International Space Station, Proteus is one one thousandth quite literally, the cost of what the International Space Station is. Uh, and the return on investment is also proportionally about a thousand times more in terms of the short-term gain for those who are, are, are looking at that. Uh, we uh, have a platform that actually is conducive to accepting not only support in, um, in the way that grants and donations are, so on the nonprofit side, so to speak, but also uh, capable of bringing in uh, investment dollars so that those who see uh, a connection with uh, what they are passionate about, that social good uh, section of the world, uh, or maybe uh, advanced research uh, for certain, uh, certain uh, aspects that may need a platform like this that simply hasn't been afforded. Uh, there's certainly uh, an ability, a vehicle to be able to invest in that uh, that world as well. Uh, I want to pass that baton over to uh, Lisa, uh, who can answer those particular questions. But it really is meant to be the the United Nations or the the um, the welcoming platform for the greater good, uh, as much as it is for uh, investment purposes for specific endeavors. But those two are absolutely part of the model that we intend to offer to the world. Amazing, amazing. And you know, we have some, some individuals, and Lisa, you're more than welcome to, to chime in at any time, but we also ha- have uh, Anitha and Elise and Judith who have, who have joined us too. So uh, welcome everyone to the stage. Thank you for, for coming up. Um, may I ask a question? Please. So, um, first, I'd, I'd just like to say to Fabian that um, Jacques Cousteau uh, made a profound, uh, made was profoundly uh, important to my life as a child, and I'm I'm just absolutely 
lost for words to be able to be in a room um, talking on this topic with um, with you. And thank you very much. Um, I'd like to ask if you could further expand on the possibility of food creation uh, as obviously as populations are soaring within the last hundred years we've multiplied do you see that the science that can be possibly done un under the deep oceans will be able to help generate sustainable um, food options other than what presently exists at the moment. Well, Judith, it's an absolute pleasure connecting with you, and thank you so much for those uh, for, for the compliments. Uh, you know, we, as a family, we try our best to uh, to to help um, with uh, with our, our our name and the legacy and the and and really for the greater good, the way we grew up in terms of philosophy. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're all witness to a, a very large uh, car wreck happening in slow motion. And it's one that uh, in many ways we're all uh, a part of and responsible for whether we know it or not. But it's also one that we can avoid because it's, uh, it's happening right now and we can make better decisions. One of them, uh, if we are to live as a species in, on this planet and thrive as a species on this planet, uh, addresses uh, is, is something we need to address, which is living in in a symbiotic or harmony with our sentient beings that we share this space with. So, in order to do that, uh, there are two aspects that we need to address: is the uh, waste or the overconsumption in general per capita around the world. Uh, that needs to be uh, tailored down uh, so that we're more, um, I don't want to say conservative, but we're more efficient uh, as, as an individual human beings and as a community. But two, it's also shifting our paradigm as far as the food sources, because right now, by and large, and all this is, is changing, we're still acting as hunter-gatherers in the ocean, and we're seeing the, the repercussions of this. Uh, about 60% to 65% of the world's wild fish stocks have been depleted. Uh, the uh, ability for us, whether we're on the ocean front trying to eke out a living from, from fishing, uh, or whether we're a large organization that's based on sea life, uh, we're, we're shortchanging our trajectory, we're shortchanging ourselves because of our current actions and the ones that have happened over the last 50, 60 years of uh, industrial fishing. And it doesn't make any sense at this point to do so because uh, we, we're just, we're, we're, we're killing ourselves. We just don't know. Uh, the the uh, solutions start with some basics. First of all, we have to change our language. Things like plastics, when we say we throw it away, there's no such thing as a way. This is a closed loop system. And the same plays into sea life. Instead of saying seafood, maybe we should start calling it sea life because that gives it a value. It's no longer that thing that I ingest and you know enjoy at a restaurant, but it's a living animal or plant that 
uh, has a value. And if we give it a value, then all of a sudden we change our mindset. Now, as far as feeding the world, uh, shifting from hunter-gatherers to farmers uh, is essential in order to produce uh, sustenance that is enough for the growing population of the world. Hopefully we'll plateau, but right now they're still on a peak. And uh, that also uh, bears in mind that we need to stop eating the elephants and the tigers of the sea. All hmm. those apex predators that uh, sharks and uh, billfish and grouper and things like that, which take decades to grow to maturity and are very slow at reproducing. We're wiping them out. There are less than 10% of those numbers out there. And so uh, when we look at through the lens of, uh, of a Proteus, for example, we're looking at how do we generate foods low down on the food web, whether it's phytoplankton or other, that we can constitute into foods that are not only edible, but appetizing for the individual, in this case, a, uh, a mission participant. Um, and that gives us enough sustenance and enough flavor and enough all those things. Uh, I can, uh, I'm happy to say that right now I'm in conversations with uh, experts at MIT uh, about, who happens to be a chef as well, uh, about how do we do that? How do we uh, bring in, uh, and not just MIT, I'm sorry, Norway as well. Uh, how do we bring in those foods? How do we look at, f at, at uh, generating food uh, nutrition in a very different way, whether it's fungus or, or other. Uh, and that's something that we'll be experimenting with in the long run throughout the entirety of the lifespan of Proteus so that we can address the issues here on land as well as outer space. Uh, so I don't know if that really answered your question, but we'll have a, essentially a farm outside as well as a hydroponics lab inside to experiment with these things and to provide additional sustenance and nutrition for our aquanauts. So, uh, uh, yes, thank you. Uh, <laughs> yes, I mean, I, I was searching for, obviously, we as a, as a globe need to seek alternative nutrition sources. And you mentioned that there's so much about the ocean we don't know. There are creatures that are so large that sustain their body mass on who knows. Um, and so, it, it, I thank you. I, I believe you, you answered uh, what I wanted to know. Will we be able to use the ocean other than, as you said, just hunting and consuming, but to cherish what it gives to us um, in a sustainable uh, way. Thank you very much. Oh, absolutely, Judith. And, and that's a great point. We, in order to do that, we, we need to value things. And we've taken advantage uh, and, and, and ignored uh, the ocean for far too long. So uh, the, the short answer is yes. Uh, I mean, if we were 100% efficient, which no species is, but if we were 100% efficient, uh, we could probably feed the world uh, several times over from what we're growing in our crops around the world. Um, unfortunately, we store grains and we don't send them to places in need. We, we do all sorts of silly things. Uh, but uh, in terms of the ocean, 
uh, we also need we need to take the pressure off of the wild stocks, the wild animals, uh, and grow our own food. Whether it's 3D printing or growing in a petri dish, uh, th that protein, that nutrition, or whether it's uh, growing uh, like farmers do on land, but under the sea. And, and in some ways, uh, that's been happening with kelp, and you know, obviously with uh, aquaculture and, and things like that. We're still learning. We're still making mistakes. But uh, as we progress, uh, those efficiencies get higher and higher. And hopefully, we'll be able to take more and more pressure off of the natural world. Thank you again. Yeah, thank, thank you, Judith. And, and um, you know, I want to introduce Elise as well. Um, she has a question. And uh, she's also the founder of uh, Octopus Tober. So happy Octopus Tober. <laughs> Happy Octopus-tober, everyone. Um, um, I would really love Octopus-tober to be a thing. So any help with that, <laughs> uh, super appreciated. Um, and uh, Fabien, uh, bienvenue sur Clubhouse. <laughs> would love to hear your fake French accent. My mother has a very thick French accent as well. So um, that's always fun. <laughs> and by the way, we have a Maison Club every Wednesday at um, 3 p.m. Eastern with Erica, who's the face of Clubhouse, actually, and is in Paris. So um, you're welcome to join. Um, but but yeah, also, I think we were in the same. Um, ouais, c'est super cool. <laughs> um, so we, um, I believe we were in the same UN Brain Trust last year with nexus on small island disaster resiliency um, yes before yeah. the, the, before disaster exactly struck and we had to go virtual yeah. yeah 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 completely nice to see you, and i love your nice octopus to see as well yeah. oh merci merci tunes, huh? oh yeah oh it's I'm, I'm everybody i think that is friends with me on clubhouse knows um how excited <laughs> i am about my octopus teacher and just even the way in which it has helped start the conversation or you know like further the, f the conversation about marine life and um our duty really to to protect them and to... oh sorry apologies i got a call um there we go how important how important <laughs> it is to protect the creatures down there um so so yeah no jeremy thank you so much for putting this together huge fan of ultramarine so excited that fabian is here and that everybody's participating um, I uh, work with a group that actually has funded an oceans documentary that will be coming out soon. So I'm, we're hoping that that will help bring more attention to the issue of ocean conservation. And we're also planning a follow-up to the talk that we did through the Impact Investment Club with Sylvia Earle last week, which Jeremy really spearheaded. But it's very um, specifically on structuring the investment vehicles that can be used to protect the ocean. So I would love for you to join into that conversation because I'm just floored by everything that you've shared about Proteus. Uh, Jeremy has mentioned the, the initiative to me, but um, I... I, I really I agree with you about the neglectedness around investment capital that is pouring into ocean conservation and that's pouring into research in that area. And I think that there's a place for nonprofits to contribute to that, but certainly a place for private enterprise um, and investment, especially institutional investors to contribute to this. Uh, one thing that I had mentioned to Jeremy is that I, I think that, for example, looking at Wellington Management's partnership with Woods Hole 
and the way in which and that's you know a trillion dollar plus in, you know investor the way in which they're they're funding some of this research in order to feed their investment funds with risk data i think is really interesting but um happy to explore all of this further we we are chatting about this offline too so would love uh, for you to join into those chats but i think that allocators can do so much more in this space and i completely agree with you about the food sources this is absolutely something that we are dedicated to funding um, on both the private side and the foundation side. And I'm happy to talk to you about some of the organizations that are in our direct circle that are interested in this, some of uh, whom I've already invited to join uh, to join Clubhouse. So I'll be organizing that. But um, I, I, I completely agree about not just food sources, but research around COVID. Um, th there's just a lot more to do. UBS came out with a recent report about uh, protecting oceans, and I think that they, they're, they're really pushing the conversation with family offices and with philanthropists. But anyhow, I'm, I'm just so excited that you're here. Um, and, and I think that I, I know that you've been involved in documentaries, and I think the storytelling can be super useful around this as well. Um, but I, everybody wants to hear from you, so I'll just kind of um, take this offline if, if you'd like with Jeremy. But um, bienvenue encore et uh, merci de, de, tout, uh, de tout le travail. <laughs> well, merci, Elise, and uh, I humbly accept your, your invitation. As, uh, as we all know, uh, it takes a village to make a, 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 an endeavor as large as Proteus uh, happen. And so uh, any uh, support, of course, is, is most welcome. Uh, we didn't intend to announce uh, Proteus during a viral pandemic, a global viral pandemic. Uh, yeah. It was always in the plans. But despite that, uh, there's been a lot of interest, possibly because it breeds hope in an otherwise rather bleak news cycle, uh, probably because people are getting more and more concerned with uh, with uh, the, the bad news of our oceans, but uh, we're not generating uh, enough good news, which uh, certainly can and will happen with a platform such as Proteus. And something that you mentioned, which just reminded me of an aspect of Proteus that, that is an integral part of it, that we never spoke uh, about uh, on this platform, is that because of the ability of the big data stream direct from Proteus back to land, uh, we're able to broadcast in 16K or above because it'll be, of course, upgradable as, as technology gets better, uh, which allows for us to do live sessions from the bottom of the sea akin to one of the uh, aspects of Mission 31 or Aquarius uh, that I actually really enjoyed. We upgraded the systems there so that we could do Skype in the classroom sessions with kids all around the world. We did, a, I think we reached 100,000 students live from the bottom of the sea during that 31 days. Uh, we were able to do weather channel broadcasts uh, from outside Pro uh, Aquarius, which was really kind of cool. You'd see the fish kind of swimming by and we're talking about weather patterns on land uh, and so on and so forth. And, and that connection, when you show a kid, when you show a kid at heart, when you show an adult, uh, the slow motion video capture that we were able to take of the boom of a Goliath grouper and that cavitation bubble that for a split second is hotter than the surface of the sun. And you're able to show that, that, that discovery that you just had that, that morning or even in real time to a, a, a group of kids, to a group of adults. 
that wow factor will last them for years, if not forever. And that in itself is one of the fundamental underpinnings of what makes Proteus valuable, beyond, of course, the research and everything else. So I thank you for, for, uh, for reminding me of that. Uh, communications and being able to connect the world with the bottom of the sea is of paramount importance for them to fall in love with it and be better stewards of it and help us uh, all be better stewards of it. So, uh, but yes, Elisa, I, I would love to, uh, to sign on. And, and of course, uh, any help that this uh, group can offer um, uh, to make this a reality sooner than later. I mean, we're in the trajectory now, of course, uh, we have to do our feasibility study. We're, we're going slowly towards that uh, due to travel restrictions, uh, but that should be uh, alleviated fairly soon. Uh, I plan on going down there in the next um, month or so to start looking at uh, the location that we've designated uh, so that we can uh, do that and then start on the drawings and the, the, the schematics, I'm sorry, and then uh, start bending metal or uh, something else. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. May, may I also ask you, has COVID impacted your, your plans in any way? I mean, I imagine well, yes, but um, just curious yeah. to know how we can help fill in gaps. Sure. So, you know, of course, you know, um, I'm, I'm an ambitious person. Uh, and of course, timelines to me are, are very valuable. The, the most valuable thing we have on this planet is is the, the limited time that we have. And um, you know, COVID certainly slowed things down a bit. I'm happy to say that we're, we're moving forward despite the challenges, which is good. Uh, could we be going faster? Sure, if you lift the, the travel restrictions and the ability to uh, be able to meet with people and all that, I, I think we'd get uh, the full funding much sooner. But uh, with that said, uh, I'm happy to say that this is uh, a a type of project that I think uh, stimulates people to, uh, to, 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 to have hope, to, uh, to dream of what this could be. Uh, the aha moment uh, saying, I can't believe we haven't done this already, and so on and so forth. So yes, uh, we are moving forward. Uh, we're excited about that. Um, we're generating some really amazing partnerships uh, right now. And I think Alex and Lisa will kill me for saying this. But we're in discussions, uh, fundamental discussions with, uh, with Woods Hole. Uh, we have partnerships with uh, and, and relationships with Northeastern and uh, with uh, other entities out there, Rutgers and, and you know, so on and so forth. I mean, I can list them all, but, uh, well, I can list the ones I, I can actually mention. Uh, but that said, uh, to make this truly global, we want to be able to have as many friends and partners as possible. Uh, and this is, this is not a, a small lift uh, by any means. Uh, no individual can do it by themselves. Uh, so uh, that said, we're reaching out to communities such as yourselves uh, for uh, support and to make this a reality uh, and to be part of the team. I, I'm so excited <laughs> that, um, that we're having this conversation and please count me in among your troublemakers. I think we could make some really good trouble in the ocean. So happy to help. <laughs> it's time to stir it up. <laughs> yep, yep, agreed. Thanks, Elise. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Elise. And um, I'll, I'll loop all the, you guys together so that you guys have your, each other's contact info. And just to, for the sake of time, uh, Fabian, I know that you know we're 
kind of we've kind of gone over the hour mark. Um, we do have one other question. If you're willing to hang around, is that okay? Of course. Yeah. No, this is this is the fun part of my life. <laughs> uh, you know, schlepping baggage and all that are necessary parts, and and begging for money. But but having conversations, uh, that's the that's really what it's all about. Groovy. Um, Anitha, the floor is yours. Yeah. Hey. Thank you. Amazing. Amazing, Trivia. I'm so excited to hear everything you've shared and super uh, stoked about your vision and ambition around, you know, kind of creating this, you know, research-based, uh, you know, philanthropic angle to help the planet, but most importantly, also create a market opportunity, you know, for everyone who want to get involved. And I totally agree with you when you talked about, um, you know, some points around this mission that actually can lead to next breakthroughs in food technologies, next breakthroughs in biotechnologies, and then also in energy, you know, there's so much about the thermal energy that people still don't fully understand and how this could probably also propel, you know, some of that. So like super, super, you know, uh, interested in kind of learn to more about that. And also, by the way, at, uh, thanks for joining also the other club that Jonathan, I and Jeremy and, you know, a bunch of our friends right here are part of the NOV Explorers in Residence. So we were definitely looking forward to having more deeper conversations on that. So uh, amazing. So my question and a couple of comments, and I really would love to hear your thoughts on this is, you know, you mentioned citizen aquanauts, but when it comes to funding, for some reason, it seems to be, you know, a prerogative of few philanthropists or, you know, government grants. How come, they, how come there's no crowdfunding campaign around this fundamentally? Because there's so many individuals around the world with the 7.6, close to 8 billion population, even if they donate $10, I think it's gonna really, really propel into some large amounts of money. And that's, there's no vehicle, no mission right now where citizens can directly fund. It's almost like, you know, the NASCAR uh, driver. Basically, you know, you have, you swap a bunch of logos <laughs> on your suit, but you know, there's this phenomenal vehicle through which everyone feels that I can, actually it's something that we are funding because we deeply care about this. And I think the the potential of even having citizens directly participate in even funding this entire mission is gonna be an amazing opportunity. I'm not sure if you've thought about that or even interested. I know there's some you know regulatory legal things that kind of surrounds that, but clearly I know so many people who would love to just fund something like this, but they're not gonna put $5 million on the table, for example. So I would love to hear your thoughts on that. And second, when you talked about, you know, we really want to have like an ISS in the oceans in the deep. And China is an interesting player. And I just want to hear your thoughts, if you have any at all, on um, the South China Sea is a big battle, you know, in the Asian side of the, in the world. And there's highly geopolitical territory. So that means anyone who's going to touch anything in that part of the world is going to be kind of one way or another going to be dealing with China and the China's political prowess. So it's like a bit of a stickler point. So when we are trying to create these missions where we really want the world to come together and then push the next frontier, how do you encounter such issues when you're actually thinking about Proteus and also similar missions? And then how do you even manage the geopolitical tensions? Because I know it's only getting heated and heated on the South China seaside. Um, I'm directly involved with one conversation there. That's why I'm really curious on how do you envision that? Uh, these are all uh, excellent questions. And 
to look at the business model that we have currently today, to, to start with the citizen aquanauts. Um, we have built into the business model several years of, um, of uh, costs covered uh, for maintenance and, and for operations and so on and so forth. Some of those uh, are also uh, to include citizen aquanauts who may not otherwise be able to afford to stay at a, a place like Proteus, but uh, may have some very valuable research to be done. And so we want to be able to offer that to uh, individuals or small groups uh, to be able to take advantage of Proteus and all that it can offer them for their research. Uh, for those who can afford it, of course, uh, th that's, uh, that's a platform that will be offered to them uh, at a day rate. And as far as uh, the long-term uh, business uh, model is Proteus would be one of several of these habitats strategically placed around the world. Now, they won't all be 4,000 square feet. Of course, it depends on the needs of that particular strategic location. But the South China Sea, for example, or that general area, uh, is uh, of particular interest for all the reasons that you state and, and many others. Um, and uh, being able to have countries such as China and, and others uh, participate in this kind of endeavor is certainly uh, an interesting uh, opportunity to have that discussion. Uh, one of the things I want to emphasize is philosophically, uh, I, I, I can't allow this to become, uh, and we've had this conversation internally as well as externally with certain entities, which I won't name, but this, this platform uh, will not become a platform to develop uh, we uh, weapons of war and things that are a detriment to, uh, to global society. Uh, if one is to imagine, say, a, um, a naval department wanting to use Proteus, that's certainly something we can look into and, and discuss. And if it's for research purposes for, say, uh, cetacean monitoring or things like that, that's perfectly fine. have no problem with that. Uh, but we, uh, we want to avoid making this a polarized platform uh, and as such, uh, one for the greater good and not one for, uh, for segregation. So, um, uh, certainly a lot to, to discuss within the, 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 the subject matter you mentioned, but uh, I hope that at least that answered most of what you had asked. Anita, I can also jump in. This is Lisa Maricino. Um, I'm just, I've been silent because I've been letting uh, Fabian have the floor, but obviously I can answer any questions on the funding side or kind of just to give you a general idea of what the total cost of the project is. It's about $135 million. And obviously the feasibility study that we're about to embark on will determine a lot more about cost and getting the ocean uh, engineers involved in creating schematics. And really will, the, the, the aim of that is to have a packet for both funders and, uh, and investors. So the idea is really to create one of the largest social enterprises um, from the get-go. And because it's really built in the DNA of Fabian and his name and his brand and his legacy of, of Cousteau, but also just the mission of the company is to really create an impactful um, structure from the beginning. So the Ocean Learning Center, which is Fabian's nonprofit, will be a significant stakeholder in the for-profit company. 
And so from the very beginning, it, it will be built into the DNA of the company to give back. All the educational programming uh, will uh, reside in the Ocean Learning Center, the nonprofit side. We will create uh, a profitable model on the on the for-profit side by such things as uh, rental fees and naming and sponsorships, extreme environment testing. Uh, we'll, we will look to franchise or license the model out. As Fabian mentioned, we will have more than one of these because the idea is to have an interlocked um, network of uh, labs under the sea. So all of those uh, revenue streams will add to the sustainability of not just uh, the endeavor and mission of the company, but also the idea of the model being sustainable. Oh, Lisa, you just reminded me um, one of the questions, one of the aspects of, of the questions that um, was asked is um, plat uh, social platforms that, that, can, um, that can accept uh, smaller uh, support uh, numbers, yes. not, not large numbers. And we had, uh, you know, we had thought of that. Um, it's just a matter of bandwidth, really. Uh, one and an approach. Uh, we're certainly no experts in that field. Uh, I, I certainly welcome the opportunity to have that discussion. Uh, it's just right now we've been uh, focusing mostly on uh, receiving uh, funding from the nonprofit side through the Ocean Learning Center for this particular endeavor, uh, and uh, on the uh, for-profit side with uh, those who may want to invest in this particular project. But yes, absolutely, that's a very good question. Uh, one that that uh, I'm certainly not opposed to exploring. Again, it's just a matter of manpower and, uh, or people power and bandwidth. Yes, Anita, no. just to, to answer that, yes, we will explore that platform. I think there is not a really big opportunity to say have you know the the global community have a piece of this, be be part of building Proteus, maybe own a a small whatever 1.3 million pounds of steel, maybe they can own a few ounces of steel uh, and make uh, Proteus happen in, the, in a real, real way. So I think there is a huge opportunity to kind of create a, a global um, effort and, and, uh, and movement toward how can I help build Proteus? I think that crowdfunding is absolutely something that we will explore. Oh, wonderful. Thank you both so much for actually kind of sharing your thoughts and there are a few people that I think you may really find it beneficial to kind of intersect and at least have a conversation on some of these. I know there are a few folks in India who are quite passionate about uh, the ocean side. And that's another aspect I was also curious about is like normally when we hear about these missions, there's not a whole lot of the world that gets engaged at this early stage. We generally have the Western world. But I think there are quite a few, both the young the new millennia, uh, millionaires and then few billionaires who are getting to be very passionate about this from normally the non-traditional parts of the world who talk about these kind of missions. So I would love to, you know, also, you know, you know, bounce it off with Jeremy and both of you. Some of those, I think it's totally worthwhile for you to connect and talk oh, further. Great. Thank you for that. Appreciate Thank it. You, yeah, absolutely. In, in an ideal world, we'd, we'd love to build seven or eight various uh, habitats of various shapes and forms uh, and, and missions around the world and uh, South China Sea amongst others would be a, a, a target for us to uh, install one of them uh, for sure. 
you could just make one for me and Tonga so I can look at my humpback friends all day. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think you have one commissioned for the ultramarine. Uh, yes. I'm pretty sure there's one yes. already. So excited. <laughs> that's, my, that's my new COVID retreat. Um, I know I said one more, but it looks like we have Steve. Steve, uh, we're, we're going to try to close up pretty quick. Um, please feel free to, to ask your question. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> I was just uh, saying hello to Fabian and wondering uh, if they've made any more headway with, uh, with any video uh, presentations. I know we were trying to help out Kendall, Nishimine, and myself. And because of COVID, people are so spread out that we couldn't get any real answers to help make uh, a visual story for uh, Proteus and and Fabian's team, but I'm truly excited to see him here um, to open that discussion. And uh, things, I'm, I'm sure things are moving forward in, in great ways. I came in late to the conversation, but yeah. saying, saying hello. Great to connect to with you, Steve. I'm glad you put us on the spot there. Uh, <laughs> and, and one of the people uh, who is on with us is Lisa Maricino. And I know Lisa and Alex and I have had this conversation hey, Lisa. Uh, about that. So hopefully we'll be able to make it happen with you guys uh, sooner than later. Uh, certainly we need to set up a, uh, a conversation on, a, on a, another social media platform. Uh, which will re we remain nameless <laughs> unless we want to give everyone nightmares. Right. Uh, one that we use way too much these days. Uh, but um, yeah, absolutely. Let's have that discussion. Yeah. Hey, psyched. Jeremy. Sorry. Psyched. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, go, I didn't want to interrupt Steve. Go ahead, please. No, no, I'm done. I was really just saying hello and uh, initiating a follow-up so that uh, we had some other business uh, to do to further their cause and, you know, yeah, there's just things that have to happen, and they were all happening slowly because of what we're all facing right now. Unfortunately, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's been like swimming with ankle weights, uh, but uh, <laughs> we've, been, we've been fortunate enough to have floaties, too, uh, and, yeah. and an amazing team that uh, is forging ahead uh, on, the, on the business side. But let's, on the storytelling side, absolutely, let's have that yeah. discussion. Excellent. Thanks. Nice Thank to see you. Thank you, Steve. Appreciate and Jeremy, while... You're saying thank you. I wanted to say thank you for doing this tonight. And Fabian, thank you for jumping on that invitation to get on this platform so quickly, man. I figured you would. I just had a feeling <laughs> you would. So I'm super glad you did. And I appreciate that Jeremy put this together right away and way to go on uh, getting here and ramping up awful quickly. Uh, oh, and I also, um, I've invited uh, Rod Roddenberry and Jeremy and Fabian. You guys know he's a huge Oceans guy. He's a good, good old friend. And so we'll do something with Rod as well, and we'll do the Star Trek thing. Yeah, no, Rod, Rod's, a, awesome. Rod's a good friend of mine. We took him to yeah. uh, Burning Man. Yep. <laughs> that was, so what was so funny saw... is there was a guy that was had like a, uh, a USS Enterprise art car, and I was like, dude, just stay right here. And he's like, what? And I was like, I, just, I have a surprise for you. And so <laughs> Rod was in the trailer. I was like, hey, Rod, come check this out. And he comes over there, and then like, when he found out who Rod was, he just like just lost it. It was almost like a Wayne's World scenario. It's like we're not worthy. Awesome. It was so awesome. Awesome. <laughs> well, we'll have to do some fun stuff with Rod and all the others. And just thank you both for uh, acting on all this stuff and doing it. It's great. That would be awesome. I'd love to take you up on that. I haven't seen Rod in many years. Last time I saw him, he gave me a uh, a Star Trek badge that was a diver flag. Yep, uh, Rod, was, it's Roddenberry Adventures. 
Yeah. <laughs> so I'd love, so to, love to connect with them again. And thank you for the offer. Great. Well, I want to be respectful of your time, Fabian and Lisa and everyone that's here. This has just been an epic, uh, super deep conversation. Um, I had to do it. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> nice, nice. Good You're night. the best. <laughs> but this is by, by far not the last conversation that we will have. And, you know, I really urge all of you that are listening, this is really a, a, an amazing project that I do think that will help the better understanding of, of, of the oceans for all of humanity. And, um, you know, any way that we can help you, Fabian, like, you know, uh, you know, people always ask, you know, when we talk about ocean issues, gosh, you know, this, the ocean's so big, what can I do? And my standard answer to everyone is that do what you're good at and focus it towards the oceans. And so I think you're doing that and the rest of us are gonna to try to help as well. So thank you for being on today, I really appreciate it. Well, I thank you all for spending this very valuable time of yours with me and uh, very uh, humbled by all your interest and your questions and uh, looking forward to uh, next Fin Steps uh, with all of you. So thank you. Thank you all. Awesome. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank Bye, you, Jeremy. Bye. Thank you, Fabian. Thank you, Lisa. <laughs> This is exactly the kind of conversation that I love having. Um, you know, Fabian, as you have heard, is doing amazing things and he's really trying something that is, well, I think a lot of people probably think that it's crazy. But as Richard Branson once said, it's the crazy people who will make the greatest impact on the planet. And I tend to agree that Fabian Cousteau is one of those crazy ones. And so I'm so grateful to have known him and uh, to continue to have these kinds of discussions moving forward. And you know what? Who knows what we'll discover? That's the part that's the coolest, is that we might find that there's this you know, new thing that enables us to do something uh, for humanity that you know, we couldn't even fathom before. So very excited. This has been a great interview, and we're looking forward to many more amazing conversations on Clubhouse. This is Ridge Tarif. I'm Jeremy McCain, and I'll see you next time.